0: There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact cordellcordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California 94404.
2: We're talking running back and tight end tiers and Matt Friedman's back on this week's episode of roto Viz Radio. Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at RotoViz. This is RotoViz Radio brought to you by the FFPC. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, Editor in Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, a man who suffers for his soup, and he is back
3: from Las Vegas. What's going on, Matt? Uh, I don't suffer for anything, uh, especially <laughs> soup, but uh, other than okay. that, I'm doing really well. Nice. Uh, are you,
2: are you fully recovered from
3: uh, your antics? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not fully recovered. I feel like I'm still, uh, adjusting in terms of both like the, the time, which I guess the time it's, it's only a two hour difference. So that's not that big, but I feel like I'm adjusting in terms of like my body clock of like when I need to go to sleep and wake up. So it's still an adjustment.
2: Yeah. I mean, you definitely, I can hear it in your voice. You sound like a man that has been through the ringer. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, not that your voice is always one that really channels, uh, supreme energy, but tonight you sound drained. So hopefully we can get you back on board for, uh, for the running back and tight end tiers we're going to discuss.
3: All right. Yeah. Let's do it.
2: All right. So one news item that I do want to hit before we get into those. Brandon Cooks signs with the Rams five year deal, $80 million extension through. 2023 obviously we haven't even seen Cooks line up and take a snap for the team yet so clearly there's something that they like in Cooks what do you think this signals about the Rams looking forward
3: uh i mean i think they found a piece that they like for their offense and you know conceivably he might be doing some of the things that Sammy Watkins did but um I think he, I don't know. It's hard to say that he's like a more like quote unquote complete player in comparison to Sammy Watkins um, because Sammy Watkins also just got paid a lot of money. But I think Cooks uh, is a little more versatile. I think he can play in the slot. He can play outside. Uh, He's had three straight seasons of a thousand yards receiving. Uh, He seems to be a pretty intelligent guy. He's played with two pretty smart quarterbacks in Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Uh, I think, you know, they're looking at him as someone who is still young. Uh, he's still only 25. You know, he entered the league as a 21 year old first rounder with great college production and a good athletic profile. He's basically still that guy and he's entering his prime. Uh, I think that's what they're looking at. And, uh, he's someone who I think adds a dimension that they didn't have with Robert Woods. They don't have with Cooper Cup and they didn't have it the way that they probably wanted out of Sammy Watkins. So, and again, it's, it's five years, 80 million, uh, 20 and a half fully guaranteed. Who really knows, uh, with the details yet of what that means for like the third through fifth years? Um, you know, maybe it's the type of thing where if he's not as productive as they want, they can sort of get rid of him without it really punishing them in terms of salary cap later um but i i think it's a good signing i like it it's like it's an aggressive signing from a team that has been very aggressive both in terms of what they've done on the field and then what they've done this off season to to add to their team
2: yeah, for me, it kind of signals the fact that there's got to be something that they think that his game um, is going to be able to play a large part in what they're scheming. And I think for him, it was a pretty good deal. And I did find it somewhat interesting, because it's that five year deal. Now, he's the type of player relies a lot on his speed and his athletic abilities. So there's a the question of by the time he's 30, is his game going to translate. But they have Cooper Cup, another young receiver that I really like. I'm not exactly sure how long Woods is going to be there. But but it, it kind of, to me, demonstrates the fact that this team is serious about having an aerial attack, having a strong offense, and things are really looking like this is a team that's going to be able to compete now, looking forward for at least a couple of seasons. And I, I think that uh it's a very good real life signing. I'm still not one of these people that sees Cooks as a top 10 type of fantasy player this year or looking forward, but I think that he will make a bigger impact on the field than he will uh on fantasy rosters.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, I I get your point about him not really being a, a top 10 fantasy receiver. At the same time, like he's, there aren't many receivers who have done what he's been able to do over the past three years. Um, you know, I mean, I, and granted, it's like, it's raw statistics. So that would, that would punish guys who have like missed some games to injury or things right. like that. But like he's, I think he's right up there and he's still developing. You know, I think that's part of it, too. And I think if you look at it from the perspective of the Rams and maybe, may, I, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to, to know how uh, maybe egotistical Sean McVay is. But, <laughs> you know, like maybe he thinks he can do with Brandon Cooks what other coaches haven't been able to do. And like that might be possible. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is like, this is a very bad analogy, but you know, it's sort of like, uh, Steve Nash back in the day was like a good player with the Mavericks. And then when he went to the Suns, he was a phenomenal player because they were just able to use him in a better way. Like it is possible with what Cooks has done that, uh, he does have the talent to be used in maybe even more of an optimized way. And even if he isn't, I still think he's probably close to a, a low end wide receiver one.
2: I'm with you on that. I definitely have always, like, especially when he was with the Patriots. I mean, they did use him sometimes in interesting ways, but I would like to see him getting moved around the, around the field a lot, especially like before the snap. Um, I think using him at different distances, there's a lot that he can do there. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, Cooks, he has managed to go for, I believe in his entire career, uh, two, at least two points per target, which is pretty crazy. Now it's interesting because that's come with, as you said, Drew Brees and Tom Brady. And when I was doing some research on points per target, I discovered that there seems to be, and I have to look into this more, a correlation between having those very efficient wide receiver points per target seasons, because In 2013 through 2017, there was a total of 37 seasons in which a player reached what I call the danger zone, which we talked about last week, which was 2.07 points per target. And it's the danger zone because the odds of repeating another performance in that range in the coming season are 20%. So I felt like that was a cutoff that made sense. Anyway, the quarterback's that have produced these receivers. Drew Brees has done it five times. Russell Wilson, five. Aaron Rodgers, four. Ben Roethlisberger, four. So clearly there is something there about playing with a solid quarterback. So the question really becomes, can he function... Like that and be that efficient with Jared Goff, and I, I, I don't know because the other thing that we've seen with Cooks is he's not one of these players like a prototypical wide receiver one that is going to receive so many targets. Now I haven't done my projection for the Rams yet, but I think it's going to be very hard to get him up to around 140 targets. So if that points per target goes down a little bit, I don't
3: really see how he can finish inside the top ten. Okay, here's uh, here's something. He is one of just three players over the last three years, uh, for each year to have a thousand yards and six touchdowns, uh, through the air. The other two guys are Antonio Brown and Larry Fitzgerald. And Uh it's not, (laughs) that's pretty good. You know, and it's not as if those are like huge benchmarks, but they're, you know, they're benchmarks of consistency. And like I would, I, I would bet that he hits that again, like a thousand yards, six touchdowns. I think he will get that again. Um, so it's not as if he's a guy who, uh, who has like a, an outsized chance the the way that someone like Antonio Brown or Julio Jones has of being like the overall wide receiver one, but I think he has a very good chance of being like the wide receiver nine to wide receiver 15.
2: I guess I, I, mm. To me, it's not a very good chance. I think it's in his range of outcomes, but I think this is one of those we're just going to have to wait and see. But but before we move on, so if you're projecting Cooks to be that good, then w- what are the highest possible finishes that uh, Woods or Cup could have? Are they not going to be as much of a factor this season? Or are we going to see them you know, kind of stay where they are, but maybe Cooks just manages to be that good?
3: Uh, I think that Cup takes a little bit of a step forward and Woods takes a pretty big step back.
2: Okay. Is the step back for Woods just because uh, Cooks is going to be able to do a number of the things that Woods was doing and do them better?
3: Uh, Sort of. I don't know if it's that he's even going to be doing the things that Woods was doing. I think it's that he's going to be doing the things that they wanted Watkins to do. Yeah. And uh, if you have someone who can do that, that is better than what Woods can do.
2: Okay. I I think that's fair. I accept that premise. So with that behind us, uh, I do want to remind listeners that you can still get a 30% listener only discount to an NFL season long subscription at RotoViz. We are in the heart of, uh, the preseason right now. Just articles are going to be coming out left and right. We have all of the Excel tools, uh, a number of awesome apps popping up on the site. So make sure that you go to, uh, the RotoViz podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast and get your listeners only 30% discount to a RotoViz NFL subscription. Now, last week I talked with John Lipinski and we were focusing on quarterback and wide receiver tiers. Today we are going to finish up by looking at my running back tiers and tight end tiers. I'm going to list them off for Matt. He's going to let me know where, where he disagrees and maybe if there's anything that uh, surprised him when I'm going through them. So if you are ready, Matt, we will begin. Yeah, let's do this. All right. I think we'll start with running backs. So in tier one for running backs, I have Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, David Johnson, Saquon Barkley.
3: Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. And I think that is pretty consensus Like I think yep. most people probably have those guys as the top six. And maybe they have uh like Gurley and Bell in a tier, and then have right. the other four guys in a second tier. But it like if you have all of them fairly close, I think that's fine too. I think those are pretty clearly the consensus top six.
2: Yeah. Now I think the guy that I have been wavering the most on, including is Alvin Kamara, because we know that there's going to be some drop-off from that historic season that he had last year. However, you have Mark Ingram out the first four games. And in my perspective, the beginning of the fantasy season is very important. You pick up some wins early. It can really set the tone for how you're going to manage your team, give you some room to kind of set up things. So that's why I positioned him into that tier. As I read through those names. Did you think that Kamara was the guy that you'd have the most reservations about putting into tier one or would it maybe be somebody like Saquon Barkley who we have not yet actually see play?
3: No, I think it's fair. Kamara – so like full disclosure, I have rankings at uh, Action Network and I have Kamara yeah. seventh. Um, but I wouldn't quibble too much with having him in the top six. and I have Barkley number five. I actually have Melvin Gordon ranked ahead of Kamara. And in part, it's because Gordon has, he's horribly inefficient, but he has three things really going for him. He gets a lot of volume. He gets a lot of uh, targets. Which really helps. And then he gets a lot of t- uh, touches near the goal line. So he has those three things really going for him. And those have been pretty consistent year to year. Uh, Kamara was amazing last year. And I think he probably will get more touches this year, especially because of the, uh, the Ingram suspension to start the season. But we should expect some regression in terms of his efficiency. So like, I think Kamara probably like for me, he's clearly top eight. Uh, I just don't know if I would have him in the top tier, but like everyone has him in the top tier except for me, so I'm probably wrong. You know, like like I will admit that I'm probably (laughs) wrong, but at the same time, like for me, he's like the first player in the next tier, which is basically the same thing. Yeah,
2: so for me, I originally did have Kamara in tier two. Once the Ingram suspension came out, I moved him into the top tier. Top tier for those reasons I mentioned. Now Melvin Gordon is kind of for me where that cutoff came. And I will say this about Gordon. He's one of those guys that maybe, um, if he's the first running back that I select, so I get like a a stud wide receiver and then I get Gordon, I feel really good about it. I think of the tier two players, he's probably my favorite. Uh and the interesting thing too is if you look at he had an awesome season last year, if you look at a lot of things um Like compared to other running backs. He had great opportunity, targets, as you mentioned, yards, touchdowns, pretty much everything was there. I think for me, the only reason that I didn't put him into that top tier is I had trouble envisioning a scenario where he really runs away being the top scoring running back at the end of the season. I think for me to put you in my top tier, that needs to be something that I think that you can do. Behind him, I have Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Devonta Freeman, Jordan Howard, Christian McCaffrey. I'm going to tell you the names that I'm not exactly sure on if I should have them there. And we'll see if you can either talk me into keeping them or talk me into moving them down a tier. Definitely Jordan Howard. I am not sure about him. I'm definitely on the fence there. And Dalvin Cook, I have some reservation about as well, though he did seem so awesome to begin the season last year. There are questions about him coming back. Small sample. Any thoughts on those two?
3: Yeah, I I don't know if we've actually talked about Dalvin Cook. I don't uh, think we have. I have him ranked number seventeen, and I feel that I'm uh, like I know I'm being low on him, um, right? But you know, and it's the things that you mentioned. Small sample, uh, and I actually don't know if you mentioned this, but like new offensive coordinator, which I think is I didn't something, mention that. I think is something that people might be undervaluing the impact yes, of yes, that a little yep. bit. Yep. Um, new quarterback and I would expect Kirk cousins to be better, <laughs> like for that offense in general than what we saw out of case kingdom last year, but still it's, it's a new quarterback. Uh, and, and the fact that he might be better actually could maybe take a little bit away from Dalvin cook. Uh, maybe there are fewer rushing opportunities and they decided mm-hmm. to pass the ball a little bit more. Uh, yep. but, but the big thing, right, the, the return from the ACL injury, the fact that, um, Although he looked, uh, pretty athletic in the four game sample that we have, which, as you mentioned, isn't that good. Although he looked athletic, uh, he in did. his pre-draft he did. testing, he didn't exhibit great athleticism there. That might right. not mean something because we did see him play, you know, very well. Uh, but it's yep. just a question of how he will return from the ACL. And then also that, that offensive line, it was better last year. But uh, if you look at kind of the, the different pieces of that offensive line, they still don't look all that impressive and like they did better last year than they had kind of historically done. So there's the potential there that the offensive line could regress a little bit. Um, so like that is like a small wrinkle in this as well. So, and then Latavius Murray as someone who maybe isn't a great player, but is big and could still touchdowns and is actually a fairly competent receiver. So like all of that put together, like I understand why Dalvin Cook is like just industry wide is ranked pretty high. But, uh, I'm kind of pessimistic about him, not I mean, I guess I'm trying to phrase this i like I see I'm overweighting the risk that is in his profile, uh because I just think there's so much there,
2: yeah, that's all fair now, the interesting thing is, I actually was before we got on the pod, I was writing about Stefan Diggs, and it's funny how some of these changes in the team you can spin as a negative for one player. Um, but then you might not carry that logic through to the next, because with digs, I said that though there is, um, the offensive coordinator change, there's still the possibility that they actually might increase their, uh, percentage of running plays because we saw them be good last season. I believe they're going to be good. In the coming season, I believe the over-under for them is around 10. They won 13 games last year. We know that if they're performing well, there's going to be more, you know, less uh, – we would anticipate probably fewer targets. Now, in regard to the uh, Case Keenum-Cousins question – Obviously, Cousins is better, but Keenum was good last year. I mean, his QBR was 99. Cousins was 100. Cousins had a 65% completion percentage. Keenum was at 67. So I don't want to overstate the jump from Keenum to Cousins. Obviously, that's going to help. But ultimately, what I'm getting to here is when I look at this new offense, it's really hard for me to project if we're going to see a new balance between rushing and passing attempts. Historically, um, at least in Zimmer has been the head coach there. They've been below average in passing. So I still kind of feel like this is a team that if Dalvin Cook can establish the run to any degree is going to want to keep it on the ground. Although a problem for him, as you said, uh, Latavius Murray is actually pretty competent. And if there's any question about usage with Cook or it starts to look like he might be not quite into game shape when things start up, there's no reason that that team can't mix in Murray. So there's definitely some questions there.
3: Yeah. And then you had mentioned, uh, Jordan Howard. I believe you have him, uh, like around RB12 overall. Um, that's a little bit higher than I have him. I have him RB14, but that's, that's kind of the same territory. Uh, I don't have a problem with him as a, a tier two guy, although some people might have him a little more tier three, but, um, I, I, I think he's been pretty competent over the last two years. And for a guy who has a reputation of not being able to, uh, to catch the ball, and there were like some very key moments last year where he had uh inopportune drops that I think people are kind of uh like through a bias just kind of holding those against him. But for a guy who can't, you know, supposedly catch the ball, he caught seventy one point nine percent of his passes last year. Like that's pretty decent. Yeah. It uh is. so like even if he loses a lot of targets to uh Tarek Cohen, which we should expect him to, um, I think he's still going to be a guy who gets around like 250-ish rushes or so, like that's pretty substantial. And if the offense is a lot better and there's a lot of optimism around that offense, uh, then I think he also has the chance to challenge for, you know, like double-digit touchdowns, you know, like I think eight kind of on the lower end, but, you know, maybe 12 to 14 on the high end, Uh, you know, and then you combine that with, say, like 1,200 yards or something like that, maybe a little bit more. Like that's pretty significant.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, kind of like you said, if you look at Howard's volume, it's been at 248 in his two seasons. If you average him on, he's gone over, um, 1100 yards on each of those seasons. So it's not like he has needed, um, an insane amount of volume. So even if he seeds some, um, attempts to Cohen and he's not going to get over probably 35 targets, I think it's okay with what we've seen from him. And he's been consistent. As you said, if the offense improves, uh, that might give him some more opportunity for touchdowns. So though I actually don't like Howard that much as a player, when I went back and I researched and looked at this whole situation, I had to include him into tier two, because at the end of the day, I think his range of outcomes does look similar to what you might expect for a player like Leonard Fournette uh, or Kareem Hunt. Now, while we're talking about Chicago, I want to get your take on this. I talked with uh, John Lipinski when he was on last week about this, that it's bothering me that we're getting sold at the Chicago Bears in 2018 are the 2017 uh rams i don't like this concept when people start putting putting things in these terms in fantasy because it makes you start to feel like that's what you're drafting but you need to realize that you're drafting a different situation and it's not this solidified concrete outcome that we know about uh so i don't feel like there are always these great analogies do you think that the bears are going to be
3: the rams in 2018 no um, I, I, and I think like even if you repeated 2017, you know, like a hundred times, yep. the, the Rams wouldn't be the Rams, you know, like 70% yes. of the time. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. That, yep. Like that was a very outlier type of season where yep. a lot of things went very well for them. Um, and I, I think that, um, McVeigh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm not I'm not good, I think, at like evaluating what is actually happening on the field or evaluating like coaching ability. Yeah. But I McVeigh, um, I'm going to give him a little more benefit of the doubt, um, because we've seen him do it. I don't know if we can say that the the coaching situation that we have now in Chicago is equal to McVeigh. Like I would kind of doubt it. And that's that's not to to say anything like negative about Matt Nagy or uh, Mark Helfrich. Um, But I just, you know, like, I don't think we can expect to see a team improve that much two years in a row. Yeah. So this is where I want to mention Occam's Razor. So
2: this, I use this a lot when I'm talking about things that are not fantasy football, but basically the whole concept is that uh, the thing that requires the least amount of assumptions is normally what things are going to be. So if we're thinking that the bears are going to be the Rams from last year, we have to make a lot of assumptions. Like you said, we have to assume that the coaching staff is as competent. We have to assume they can have an outlier of a season. And if you go back and you look at individual player efficiency and you look at that team, how they were, how efficient they were as a whole, it's a type of season that just does not happen very often. So then you also have to make the assumption that's going to happen two years in a row. There's just a lot stacked up against it. So Occam's razor, look it up, research it and think about it when you're prognosticating things in fantasy football or digesting opinions of others you want to look for the when you're building your range of outcomes think about the the most likely things are probably going to be the things that require the least assumptions does that make sense matt
3: yeah and and one other thing to add to this like a massive assumption uh but one that people just seem to be taking for granted is that mitch trubisky is actually a good quarterback yep. like we don't know that he he very well might be you know but we just we don't know that for sure like, all we know is that he didn't look all that great last year, of course, negative circumstances. So he he gets something of a pass there, but he didn't look all that great last year. Um, And he really had only one, sort of like one and a half seasons of starting uh, in college. Actually, I don't think even like one and a half, really just one season as a starter in college. So like, that's not that great. Um, But you're just assuming that Trubisky is actually like an NFL caliber quarterback. And we definitely should not take that for granted.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say that he doesn't have the potential to be a decent quarterback. I don't see him being a good quarterback. Could he be a competent quarterback this season? Sure. But that's a big assumption. So let's move on. Uh, Well, actually, one more player to mention in tier two, Christian McCaffrey, there's reports coming out from some of the beat writers that cover the Panthers that CJ Anderson is going to have a pretty high workload. He's going to be the main rushing back and that McCaffrey is going to still be primarily used as a receiving back. Are you buying into that? And does that give you any pause when you evaluate his prospects for 2018?
3: Uh, no, it's, it's what I would expect. Uh, it's basically the situation that we had last year with Jonathan Stewart. I would expect CJ Anderson basically to play the Jonathan Stewart role. Um, nope. I think we're going to see Christian McCaffrey do pretty much what he did last year. I think we're going to see similar target volume. Um, so I think, you know, last year he was around like, uh, what was it? Like running back 12-ish, uh, in PPR yeah, scoring. Yeah, he was 12. Yep. 12 on points per game. And overall he was eight. Yeah. So I think basically he's being drafted in that range. Uh, that's where he should be drafted in accordance yep. to the usage that he got last year. And none of that takes into the account that he might be actually much more efficient than he was last year as a runner. Like he can't be any more inefficient than he was last year. So there's, right. I think actually like some room, even if he doesn't have more usage than he had last year for him still to be much more productive.
2: Yeah. I'm actually. In some respects, when evaluating uh, McCaffrey for 2018, a little bit relieved to hear this because I think that you could have run into a situation where the team starts wanting to use him in a way that doesn't suit his skills and it kind of deteriorates his game across the board, right? Like if he was going to be their main rusher, they start putting him into – more situations where he's required to to rush the ball and it's taking him away from doing what he does well, which is being that receiving back. So really for me, as long as his targets are above a hundred, I'm perfectly happy to to take a player that would accrue production similar to what McCaffrey had in 2017. Maybe there's a little bit of regression, maybe there's some progression, but I think it's fine if he and CJ Anderson are splitting the workload and you're letting McCaffrey do what he's good at. So let's move on to tier three. I did have LaShawn McCoy in there. I think he's probably going to get taken out. Still a lot to develop with that situation, so we'll ignore him for now. Joe Mixon, Tevin Coleman, Kenyon Drake, Jarek McKinnon, Rashad Penny, Darius Geis, and Lamar Miller. Any of those names feel like they should not be in there?
3: Yeah, uh, I think that tier is pretty good. Um, I'm, I think, a little more bullish on McKinnon. I have him Mm -hmm. at uh, running back 10 overall. Um, yep. which is, I think, pretty aggressive, yeah, but, it is. um, I think it fits for a few reasons, uh, at least for me. So, one, uh, he is coming off of, you know, his best season last year where he finally got more usage, but he still doesn't have a lot of wear, uh, on his body. Um, he's going to an offensive system that historically has been good for running backs and specifically uh last year i believe the 49ers targeted uh running backs and fullbacks out of the backfield more than any other team uh and that is a situation in which mckinnon uh could flourish because he is a pretty good receiving back um and then most importantly they paid him like they paid him a, a massive amount of money uh especially for someone who is unproven uh, I think at this point, he is now like the second or the third, uh, you know, most compensated running back in the league, which just sounds, uh, unbelievable, but that's the case. Uh, yeah. I think given that they gave him that amount of money and then given the, uh, I don't want to say the dearth of talent, uh, on, on the running back group, because there is actual talent, I think, on the depth chart. Um, but not, it's unproven. Right. So like given how unproven the group is behind him, uh, I think they're going to use him a lot. So if someone had him in their second tier, uh, that would be fine with me. Like that's that's where I have him. Um, But, you know, he is unproven as a lead back. So if someone had him in the third tier, I really wouldn't quibble with that either.
2: Yeah. So when I was considering him and first, I want to point out that I've noticed that one of your favorite sneaky terms to use is dearth. You love to use the term dearth.
3: Yeah, I, I have a dearth of uh, other words to use, so <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get better on that.
2: No, that's fine. I, I just bring it up because I can actually remember reading something that you wrote one time and seeing dearth and being like, hmm, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody use that word before. Anyway, when I was considering McKinnon, I did want to put him into tier two because I felt like if I was looking at Carlos Hyde and he was still on San Francisco, given what he did last season, given the coaching situation and the entire context of that team, I probably would want to put him into tier two. But the difference with McKinnon and Hyde is there just is not the background on McKinnon. I do think it's fair to have some concerns about him being the main guy in an offense, the most that we've ever seen him compile in terms of attempts is 143. He also had 49 targets that season. That was in 2016, 59209. You're going to have some questions about the durability. How much of a workload can he really absorb? So there's definitely some questions in there. I also have questions on the whole about what that San Francisco offense is going to look like, how good it can actually be. So when I put that all together, it's hard for me to get him into uh, tier two, because I do think that there's a lower range of outcomes for him than some of those guys that you might have um, in tier two. Now, another player um, that some people aren't a big fan of, or there's questions around, but I think you have to put him in tier three is Joe Mixon.
3: Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. I, I have him let me see. I think I have him ranked around thirteen, which is pretty close to where you have him. Yep. Um I I think right in that same group. Uh yeah, for me, I think he's pretty close to the the top of tier three. Um I know that there was inefficiency last year, but um I don't know. Like I, I think of Le'Veon Bell, who also had a fairly inefficient rookie year. Uh and like Bell Mixon is a big guy, uh, who's young, who uh was Outstandingly productive in college, uh, and you know, drafted with a pretty high pick and has a good athletic profile and can catch the ball. Like that's sort of like everything that you want. Uh, and then I think he's going to have some pretty good usage. I think Giovanni Bernard will be, uh, a not insignificant thorn in his side. From Mm -hmm. a usage perspective, but I still think that Mixon is going to be used in a pretty holistic way. And I also think he's going to get the goal line touches. So, uh, yeah, I, I, for me, he is near the top of tier three.
2: Yeah. Now I was not too high on Mixon when he entered in the league actually last year. But as the season developed, I actually was a little bit swayed by just watching him and the way that he plays. And a lot of that to do with he does appear to be a very good receiver. I mean, he converted 29 of his 33 targets last season, 286 yards, didn't find the end zone. But I think that, you know, he's still going to get targets. He's not going to lose a significant share of the work to Giovanni Bernard in terms of rushing. And we also have seen in Cincinnati, that team able to support two running backs uh, when it was Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard that were both very useful for fantasy. And I think that Joe Mixon has a has the profile to especially at this point in bernard's career run away with a majority of the work and be good and also that offense i believe is going to improve um upon what it did last season so i feel like you know things are looking up for mixon and for that reason you have to put him in tier three and i'm actually fairly excited about him final player to touch on um We know that I love Darius Geist. I expect big things from him this year, but fellow rookie Rashad Penny, I have gone back and forth. I had to put him into tier three because of the potential that's there. If he really can run away with all of the work, do you have any reservations about Penny losing share to Chris Carson as the team is trying to uh, say is a possibility? Or do you really think that it's Penny's backfield and you feel good?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm terrified. Um, you know, cause, cause I (laughs) like, I have a lot, uh, sort of like emotionally invested in Rashad Penny. Cause like I was, I was on him, um, you know, like before a lot of, a lot of people were on him, you know, like before he went in the first round, I was hoping he would be a third rounder. So I'd be able to get him in all my dynasty leagues and that's not possible. Um, but yeah, so I think like from a longer term perspective, I'm pretty bullish on him. Short term, um, I think one reason to like him is that uh he is in the like you know antiquated Brian Schottenheimer system where he is going to get the ball a lot, it seems. Uh, but that is also a reason to dislike him in that Brian Schottenheimer is his offensive coordinator uh and he's one of the most um unimaginative offensive play callers in the league. Uh so it is a yeah. it's a negative situation for him in that regard. And then also because Seattle's defense is basically just deteriorated at this point, um, they're not going to have the benefit, I think, of being able to run the ball as much as they want. Uh, and although Penny, I think, was an underappreciated receiver in college, he still didn't have a lot of receiving action. Uh, yeah. So he is somewhat unproven in that regard. So if he's not able to run the ball as much as they want – uh, and he's, let's say he's not as good of a receiver as I think he might be. Uh, and then there is always the possibility that he, you know, doesn't adjust, uh, to the NFL game the way that we might anticipate. He did play in a smaller conference in college. Uh, so it's possible Chris Carson could take the job. So you put all of those things together and it sort of terrifies me. Um, but I think Penny probably is in the right draft range.
2: Yeah, that, that's more or less what, uh, I had to conclude there. So before we finish with the running backs, let me just read off my list of tier four running backs and you tell me which one of these players deserves to be in tier three, if any, and which one of these guys needs to be removed and put into tier five, if any. So we have Mark Ingram, Derek Henry, Jay Ajayi, Alex Collins, Tariq Cohen, Dion Lewis, Duke Johnson, Chris Thompson, Theo Riddick, Royce Freeman, Ronald Jones, and CJ Anderson.
3: Uh, It's an interesting list. I have Collins, uh, I think, pretty significantly higher. Um, Yeah. I have him just kind of under Jordan Howard. I have him, I think, around running back 15. I think for you, he's maybe closer to – I don't know. I'm just eyeing it. Is it like running back like 22 or 25 or something like that? Well,
2: I kind of go with that players in the tier Mm -hmm. are more or less analogous. So, like – I don't almost like don't really think about it when I'm doing the tiers as if they're rankings. I would say where things are, though, I probably would have like in this configuration, I would have ended up with him around maybe 16, 17, 18. Although I actually did just take Alex Collins very early in a his mock draft that we're doing currently. And I realized that I actually in my mind am viewing him as a tier three player. So I am going to move him
3: up. Yeah, I think I view him as a as a tier 3 guy. And then uh Jay Ajayi, I don't know if he warrants being drafted in the third tier, but it mm-hmm. wouldn't be surprising if he outproduced or produced as a guy yeah. in the third tier by the time the season is over. Um a couple of guys I would move down. Um yep. and this is probably just um I'm trying to think of the it, it's a bias basically, but this the smaller guys like Duke Johnson, Chris Thompson, Theo Riddick. So like the guys who are basically like quote unquote just receiving backs. I yep. would probably have them slotted down a little bit more in tier five. Um I think you have them going pretty significantly ahead of their average draft position here. Um yep. and I think you could probably still wait till tier five to be able to get most of those guys. Um, but uh and also like I just I don't see any world in which like Theo Riddick actually becomes the lead back. And like in tier four, I still want to draft guys who are lead backs or have the potential to be lead backs. You know what I mean? I have,
2: okay. I I I can, I can accept that, but I'm going to ask you then, like, who is the quintessential tier five player? Like when you look at my tier five, who do you look at? And you're like, okay, yeah, that guy makes sense in tier five.
3: Um, Carlos Hyde. I think makes sense in tier five.
2: Okay. So my question then is in a range of outcomes for Theo Riddick and a range of outcomes for Carlos Hyde, I have to feel like given what we've seen Theo Riddick do mainly just on targets, his his average to high range of outcomes is, I would say, significantly higher than in Carlos Hyde's current situation, what his mid to high range – well, maybe not the high range, but – if you're well, yeah, I'll say it, like in that mid to high range, a better distribution of Theo Riddick is is landing in a nicer territory than Carlos Hyde. Do you disagree with that? Uh, yeah, I
3: I disagree with that. <laughs> pretty, okay, pretty pretty strongly. All right, I think like I think the Riddick is probably um locked in for like a higher floor than than uh, Hyde. Like I think it's very possible Hyde has a season where uh he gets beat out pretty quickly. Yeah. by Nick Chubb. Uh, and then Duke Johnson seizes a lot of the work and then Hyde has maybe like 500 yards and three touchdowns with like minimal receiving usage. Like that's a really bad season. But on the other hand, like it is possible that he could cement himself as the early down back. Uh, and the Browns offense could be better and Hyde could have, you know, like a thousand, eleven hundred yards and like seven to nine touchdowns. Like Riddick at the most. Is going to have this would be like, uh, I don't think he has a shot at a thousand yards. Like, I think 800 yards is probably like kind of the wheelhouse of where he might expect to land, maybe 900 yards. But then, in terms of touchdowns, I think it's probably closer to like four to six, you know. And then, granted, there's going to be a big disparity in the receiving usage, but I think Riddick might be around like 60 receptions. Uh, maybe Carlos Hyde could like squeak up to like 30 receptions maybe, but like 20 might be more realistic. But like, I still think that Hyde is a guy who has like actual upside of like, he becomes the workhorse and he has like 1200 yards and 10 touchdowns. I don't think Riddick has anything close to that.
2: Okay. That's probably, well, some of that I can, I can accept and is true. I'll accept that Carlos Hyde is the very high range of outcomes. But I will say the thing with Theo Riddick is now since 2015, and I know that just because, you know, what happened in 15 through 17 occurred doesn't mean it's going to happen in 18. But you look at position rank overall. He went 18, 24, 26, points per game rank, 31, 8, 33. I feel like a lot of Riddick's range of outcomes is going to put him into a very similar territory, whereas for Hyde, you know, he has a very broad range of outcomes. Now, this really, this is where we get down to how a person individually approaches the game, because to me, I am going to not place as much emphasis on Hyde's high-end range of outcomes. And for that reason, he has to drop back into tier five, but because I feel like Riddick has such a high distribution of outcomes that position him somewhere in that range of where he's been, that's what puts him in tier four for me. Any thoughts on that before we close down?
3: Yeah, uh, two things. One, yep. um, so I hear what you're saying and I agree with you. Like, I think, I, I think, like, on average, Riddick probably scores more fantasy points per game than Carlos Hyde this year. Yep. So, like, I, so, like, from that perspective, I see it, but there are two things. One, I think, I think Riddick doesn't need to be drafted in tier four because he can be drafted later. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't, mm-hmm. So, so I, I guess it's a question in terms of like, what is the functionality of the rankings? Is it to Mm -hmm. try to get, um, is it to try to like place accurately where you think guys will produce or to sort of say when you should draft certain players? You know what I mean? So like, it's just a question of kind of like how we, how we view rankings or, or tiers or things like that. But the, but the, the, the other thing is that like in any league, Um, like, I don't know. Like, I don't care about making the playoffs. Like, I, I want to win. I'm with you on that. Yeah. You know, so like, I don't, I mean, getting guys who outproduce their ADP is always a good way to win your league. Um, but like, I think in the end, Theo Riddick isn't going to be someone who wins a league for me, but Carlos Hyde might be like, he probably won't be, but he might be.
2: Okay. I would say that to me, the distinction between tiers and rankings is tiers you're grouping players together based upon their range of outcomes your perceived value of them what you expect them to do i think that's different where rankings whereas rankings you're kind of positioning guys on where you would draft them. So I think that's a philosophical difference. But I think that if you're doing the tiering process and you're putting players in ranges based upon where you would take them, I think you're kind of losing context of the tiers because it's it's kind of, to me, taking away the heart of why you're bucketing the players together. But I mean, I think that's kind of just a personal preference of the way you approach the game. I will say that my philosophy for this year, though, definitely is going to be swing for the fences. I kind of talked about this last week, but my one of my points is, you oftentimes find yourself in drafts going after guys because you feel like, all right, they're going to at least give me some level of production. But my philosophy for this year is going to be screw that level of production. What you really need, you can find that production elsewhere. What you need is those guys that are going to win your league. I don't care if I make the playoffs. I want to win the whole thing, uh, just like you said. So let's move on from the running backs. But before we do, I want to quickly... uh let our Roto-Fizz fan base know that uh, our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football, have you covered for everything in the 2018 NFL season, which is almost here. They have a format to suit every diehard's interest and budget, whether it's best ball, superflex, classic, managed leagues. There's drafts filling daily, starting at just thirty-five dollars. Jump into a slow or live draft today. The FFPC also features the world's Greatest contest in season-long fantasy football. Come to the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino Las Vegas this September and draft in the FFPC main event while spending... Opening NFL weekend in Vegas with hundreds of diehards just like you. Can't make it to Vegas? Then draft online from the comfort of your own home and compete for the massive $250,000 grand prize with over 2 million in total cash prizes in this year's contest. Don't miss the FFPC experience. RotoViz listeners go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. And before we get back to talking about tight ends, a reminder that this is officially going to be the last week in which you can send in your voicemail messages with your bold predictions and have a chance to be entered into win a free $35 entry into a league at the FFPC. We don't ask you for much. This is one of the things we're going to ask you for. Call into, as I try to pull up the number. 978-925-7628 978-925-7628 and leave us your bold prediction and have a chance to win that free $35 entry. 978-925-7628. And if there's any questions that you have, things that you're interested in, it's not often that you have access to a John Nash like mind in what you have with Matthew Friedman. So please. You have questions, call in and leave us your bold predictions. He has a beautiful mind for those of you that did not get the reference.
3: Oh my, that's uh, that's over-promising. Uh, how, question, how many yeah. people, have we gotten people who have called in with their bold predictions? We we have, we actually have.
2: We, we have enough that I do not necessarily feel it like needed to plant. Uh, people (laughs) you know like sure get people that i know to call in but i i I will say this we did not get as many as i were hoping for so if you would like to do me a solid please call in at the very we have some really really entertaining ones so yeah right now whatever you're doing hit pause call up i gotta pull up the number again you're gonna you're gonna hit pause okay and you're gonna call up 978 Nine two five seven six two eight. I don't care. It can be really quick. Just say you're expecting Robert Woods to get 150 targets. Anybody. Anything like that. And I, uh I would love to
3: hear what people have to say about Theo
2: Okay, there we go. My bold prediction is that Matt is gonna be forced to draft Theo Riddick and he's gonna win him a league. Uh I might be drafting Theo Riddick already. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we will find out. Hey, we made a um in one of the first episodes, I actually forget what the bet was now. we It might have been, um, I feel like it had to do with the Patriots player,
3: but I almost want to put down a theoretic one right now. I think it was, uh, I took Burkhead and I think you took Michelle. Okay. Oh,
2: uh, yeah, yeah. At some point, too, we need to talk about that situation again because I kind of feel like I might need to need to shift some things there. Anyway, I've left us less uh, time to talk about tight ends and the running backs, but I think there's there's less guys to talk about there. So, let's get into that now. So, you have Tier 1, Rob Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz. I think that's pretty standard.
3: Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Ertz, I think, is the third guy there, offers a ton of value. Um, in his 16 games uh, without Jordan Matthews over the last two years. So obviously Matthews was gone all of last year, but uh, right. Ertz didn't play all of that season. Uh, and then in the previous season, there were some games when Matthews was out, but basically Ertz in his full season without Jordan Matthews, Uh, In this offense that he's had for the last two years, he averaged 16.64 PPR points per game. Like he's just been an absolute monster. So I think he provides a ton of value as the third guy in that tier.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I actually think too, and call me crazy, but I do think that there are some outcomes where Ertz actually finishes as the tight end one. Um, So, you know, to a lot of people, he doesn't carry the value. Uh, or the name recognition, I think, that Kelski and Kelsey do. And especially if you're in a more casual league, like a home league with your friends, I think Ertz is going to be a huge deal.
3: Yeah, totally agree. So,
2: tier two, you have Evan Ingram, Greg Olson, Delaney Walker,
3: Jimmy Graham. Yeah, no disagreements, really, with that tier. Um, and I think there is a a pretty significant tier break uh, yeah. between those guys um, and the the guys who follow. Um and I think it's kind of hard to distinguish out of those four guys which one you actually might want, Um, because all of them like there are fantastic things about all of them. Like Ingram is young and he's coming off you know a fantastic rookie season. Olson has been productive forever. Walker, the same thing. Uh, Graham is a touchdown guy and right. uh, he's you know entering a situation where there's a touchdown void, so he could easily step in. Um, you know, but there also are negative things about all of those guys too. Uh So it's, I, I don't know. It, it's a tier that I think makes sense. uh, And there are reasons to like those guys, but I think it's a tier I'm pretty much going to avoid.
2: I think that the one guy I would actually go after is Delaney Walker. Let's just take a second to reflect upon how ridiculously good he has been. So 2014 position rank 16, 2015 5, 2016 10, last season 5. Now, they have Smith behind him who I, I who I like a lot. I still think that we might get one more season from Walker. Um you look at the receivers on that that are on that team. I still think he's going to play um that role that he's played For the last couple of seasons, people are expecting Mariota in the passing attack to get a little bit more in swing. So I still really like Walker and I have less questions with him and then the rest of those guys in that tier and i think that walker will probably be going at a price tag that could make sense if you're in a league like when i'm in an ffpc league and i do want to have a tight end that can um get some targets and i don't just want to trot to a scrub walker's probably going to be the guy that i'm targeting um kyle rudolph and Jack Doyle or what I had in tier three, I think by the end of the season, this is going to rearrange a little bit. You seem to agree with Rudolph finishing in tier three. I think some people might want to make a case for him being in two, but why do you view him as a tier three tight end?
3: Uh, Yeah. I mean, part of it is that I think he's just lower down in the pecking order Uh, and so he's been a very good red zone receiver for the last two years, but it's kind of similar to what we talked about with Dalvin cook. Like he's in a new offense, so we're not totally sure how that's going to go. He has two really good receivers ahead of him on the depth chart. Um, and I just don't think he's as much of a touchdown, like a dependable touchdown guy as someone like Jimmy Graham. Uh, and he's not, uh, as heavily targeted, I think, or as crucial to the offense as guys like Delaney Walker and Greg Olson. Uh, so I think it's kind of, I mean, I could see how he ends up outproducing a couple of the guys in the second tier, but I just don't think I would draft him there.
2: Yeah. And a couple of important things to remember. So in 2016, he had 117 targets, precipitous drop to 78 in 2017 he managed to offset that by scoring a touchdown every 10 targets and going for two points per target. He's not going to keep that up. I yeah. mean, eight touchdowns on 78 targets. That's not going to happen. And then there's the whole question of the offense changing, maybe Cousins locking on too, and being able to get more out of Thielen and Diggs. That to me is a type of situation that you don't want to be chasing. So sure, if he falls very far down, you could go for him, but that's kind of why he ends up in tier three. And I think the upside is very limited this year in comparison to what it might have been in years past. Jack Doyle. I forget if it was you and I that talked about, uh, yes. the whole situation. Yeah, it yes. was us. That's right. Didn't we talk about? Yeah, we talked a lot about Jack Doyle. So yes, his I don't average know.
3: depth of target, which is basically non-existent. Yes. It was like a handoff.
2: So yeah. <laughs> All right. So tier four, Jordan Reed ends up in there. I think that one could make a case for putting him into tier three. Would you do so?
3: Yeah, I think actually that um, I would have Jordan Reed in his own special tier. Okay, <laughs> and it, it, like it might be between tiers two and three. Okay, um, because I think he has the he has the upside of tier one. It's just a question as to whether he can stay healthy or not. Uh, and the yeah. answer is he probably can't, <laughs> like, you know, like it's, it's like, it's very risk seeking to go with Jordan Reed, um, which of course, naturally is what I've done in the Scott Fishbowl.
2: Um, oh God. But your team's um, looking good though. I did check it out. I think that your squad's looking really nice.
3: Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm doubtful, but um, you know, it's so yeah, Jordan Reed, I think he's the ultimate sort of like risk seeking tight in move. Um, and. I, you know, I don't know if you're going to wait on tight end, if you're not going to go with one of the the top three guys, I think Reed is the guy you maybe go with. If you really are shooting for someone who has the potential to finish as the number one overall tight end, uh, you know, he probably won't, but he has the potential. And so like, I would put him ahead of like Kyle Rudolph and Jack Doyle. Well, actually, you know what I say that. And then now I'm thinking about this. Uh, I need to look at my rankings. Yeah. Uh So actually, yeah. Uh amazingly, okay, uh, true to my word, uh, I do have him right ahead of uh, Rudolph and Doyle. Um, but yeah, so but that's just like, I, I tend to be, I think, a little riskier in what I'm looking for out of out of receivers. Right.
2: So when I think about Reed, I think it's almost going to be a team specific uh, situation. If you have a team where you have a lot of those guys and you're feeling before him that you feel really good about, Uh, And you feel like you can take the chance on Reed or maybe you're not sure about your team and you want to insert that upside. He might make more sense than a Rudolph or a Doyle. I think for me though, ultimately why I put him into tier four is I have to keep in mind that there's going to be people using my tools and they might be looking at my tier. Now, maybe this is a more casual player, and they don't know that there's these risks with Jordan Reed, then I don't want them viewing him as a tier three because there is significant risk. So, I have to almost factor that in to keep in mind that people are going to be using these when they're drafting, and that for that reason, Reed has to slot himself into tier four.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. At the same time, like one, I think if they're – if this is someone who's actually using a road of his tool, well, I'm, I'm imagining that this is someone who, uh, is like up to date enough. Right. Uh, and then it's, oh, people always have to make their own decisions on stuff, you know?
2: Yeah. But, so I guess the one caveat would be though that these are also available through FF draft prep and there are some people that will use it. I know from the past that like just rely on it because it's doing the work for them. So that's kind of the caveat there. Yeah, so the RotoViz fair. people, I'm sure they know, but there's some people who like the draw to the tool is that it's all set up and the work's been done for them. So for that reason. So to finish out. Oh, but I did like the point about some people, there's a resistance, I think, to thinking for themselves or for maybe doing the work for themselves. And I think it's one of the things that's always been stressed at RotoViz is. You're probably not going to be successful, and I, I like we f- we feel like the optimal approach is to take the information and, and go out and do the work for yourself or make your own decisions. I think at the end of the day, if your team's gonna fail, it might be easier to blame it on external factors, but really you need to take ownership of your team.
3: Yeah, totally agree.
2: So that actually brings up something I've wanted to talk about before. Let's just do it because I think we've got through. Well, let's finish off tier four and then I'm going to go back to that thought. So you have OJ Howard, Cameron Brait, Trey Burden, Eric Ebron, Austin Safarin Jenkins, Ed Dixon, Mike Kaseki in um, tier four.
3: Yeah. I don't really have any – I don't have any problems with those. Mm-hmm. Uh, ASJ, I, I probably have a little bit lower. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't have problems with it. I would say Eifert is the guy that you have uh, right under that and yep. I would say like Eifert for me – Um, is to tier four what Reed is to tier three. Like, he's another for me, like, risk seeking guy. And, uh, in my, yeah, in my rankings, I literally have him right under Rudolph and Doyle. And like, that is super aggressive. And I know that. Um, but it's just that, you know, like, he's a guy when he's healthy. He's an uber touchdown producer. So, uh, I don't mind taking a risk on him knowing that. Uh, if he pans out, he has league winning potential. And if he doesn't, then I'm going to be looking for another tight end, which is pretty normal anyway.
2: Yeah. I'll I'll think about that move maybe. I guess the one final uh, name that we should mention is George Kittle, because I think some people would want to slate him into tier four. Personally, I'm not sold yet.
3: Yeah. It's interesting. I have him, I think, number 14. Um, So that probably is closer to tier four um, mm-hmm. than tier five, but maybe kind of like on that borderline. Um, yeah, I mean, he was, you know, super athletic, wasn't very productive in college, but a lot of tight ends aren't. Um, and he did look pretty good, uh, in some, you know, in some usage last year. And I think actually in the last five games this season, when he had Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, he looked pretty decent. But again, that's a small sample. So it, it's kind of hard to know. And they have a lot of different receivers there. Uh, in San Francisco so it's just hard to know really how the targets are going to be distributed
2: yeah absolutely and then we just read before we came on air or at least I did it happened very soon before Ricky Seals Jones apparently is being investigated for an assault I don't know the specifics of the situation but um, he has been getting some hype were you buying into any of that Matt
3: no <laughs> no, <laughs> no okay I, no, I wasn't <laughs>
2: So I actually have a bias here. Speaking of biases, and and the topic I was going to bring up, I feel like saving for another show. So we'll get to that later. But Ricky Seals Jones popped in my model a couple of weeks last year. And I'm noticing that I'm developing this bias of guys who when my model kind of got it right in particular weeks are sending into my head – uh, and when I see their names, I just get excited. So he was one of those guys I had to talk myself off of. Um, and I ended up putting him in tier five. So I think I ended up in the same place as you, but so for you, that is non news.
3: Yeah. I mean, I have him ranked, I think number 29. So I'm, yeah. I think I'm pretty low on him. No. Yes. I, I would have to say that you are. So that brings us
2: through, uh, the, Running back and the tight end tiers. Again, these are in the draft dashboard that we have available at RotoViz, and these are also in the Fantasy Stat Explorer. Make sure that you go and check those out and check out everything we have up at RotoViz. Send us your bold predictions. And also, if there's topics or questions that you have, shoot them in. You can pick the mind of Matt Friedman. And uh you know given his theoretic take you might now be more inclined to ask me a
3: question so you can ask me a question as well. Any closing thoughts, Matt? Uh no, I'm looking forward to uh not being on the show next week. Oh, nailed it. Oh, wow, you did Oh wait, so actually
2: you know what then? That makes me realize that I don't think that do you want to be around for the the bold prediction episode? I kind of feel
3: like you should. Uh I guess the question is uh is it best for the fans. If, if I'm around, maybe it's not. Uh, I don't know. So yeah, I mean, if you, if you want me around, uh, I will, I will be around and we can do it the the week after that. Uh, Yeah. I think, Uh, I think
2: then we'll do it the week after that. So that's actually going to set in another two week timeframe. So listen, there's absolutely no excuse for you not to send us a bold prediction for those of you that have sent it in. I'm sorry that it's taking this long, but we now actually have a hard deadline two weeks. If Friedman skips out on us, we're doing it without him. How's that sound?
3: <laughs> that sounds great to me.
2: All right. So <laughs> that oh man. That's gonna do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave ff My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at Matt F the Oracle. Don't forget to call into 978-925-7628 and tell us your bullet predictions. This has been RotoViz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at RotoViz at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at RotoViz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at RotoViz.com forward slash podcast.